There is something about games, about play, that is part of being human. I was telling my dad, like, he's like, why would you watch someone else play games? As he's watching, like, Sunday football. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at the TV, and I looked at him, and I said, Dad, why would you watch someone else play a game? <laughs> and he, it took him a while, I was like, oh, now I get it. Bobby Angel is a Catholic author, speaker, and mentor in training with the Catholic Psych Institute with more than 20 years of experience in ministry. He and his wife Jackie have co-authored numerous books on marriage and the spiritual life. His most recent book is entitled Gaming and the Heroic Life, A Quest for Holiness in the Virtual World. Listen in as we discuss the role of beauty and evangelization, gaming, and the inherent need for community. Benedictine College is transforming culture in America, one conversation at a time. From our studios in Atchison, Kansas, these are the Benedictine Dialogues. All right, Bobby Angel, welcome to Benedictine Dialogues. Great to be here with you, Jared. So from what I hear, you've got a new book coming out on the topic we're gonna to be talking about today, which is video games and its intersection with faith and life and all that. Tell us a little bit more about it. So the, the work is Gaming and the Heroic Life, published by Ave Maria Press. And it's, it's a bit of a passion project. It's a bit of a, I can't believe I get to write this book. And as well as a call to take video games seriously as a medium, as the place they hold in our culture today, the grasp they have on so many young and not so young people. And then how do you find the good in that and bring it out into the world? So it was really fun to write. It's this blend of philosophy, theology, Super Mario, all rolled in one. And I mean, we grew up playing and we're now adults yeah. and we're fathers and we're trying to make our way in the world and we're still kind of playing here and there. Um, and so it's also a call for families to look at this entertainment medium mm -hmm. and how do I use it for good? For most of my life, it was this kind of uh, either games are all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the 90s, you had kind of the Mortal Kombat, like, rise of demonizing of all video games. All video games are bad. And it's all going to lead you down a path of darkness. And, and then the other extreme of, who cares? Just play anything and give your kid Grand Theft Auto when they're 10. And I'm sure they're fine. And as a Catholic, I always had a sense of, like, there's got to be a middle way mm -hmm. of this thing is not inherently evil. But just like there's good and bad books, there's good and bad movies, there's good and bad games. A lot of it is the temperance at which I'm approaching it. Mm -hmm. How many hours am I spending in it? Am I controlling it or is it controlling me? Yeah. To what extent am I integrated and I can say no to it or am I really giving myself too much to it? Yeah. And then where is it echoing the good, true and beautiful? And I think where we are today, where games are, that's never been more evident. Hmm. And so now it's just engaging so many of us in our next generation that are in this world and calling them, like affirming what is good and then also calling to live in reality as our Lord desires us to. So I guess to kind of get into the topic a little bit, first off, starting with your history of being a gamer. Have you always been a gamer or is this something that kind of became a passion later on? From my earliest memories, it was there. Okay. Like <laughs> I was very young and with the first Nintendo and Duck Hunt and this clunky gun with an obnoxious dog that laughed at you if you missed the, the ducks and the original Super Mario. But it wasn't until uh, my uncle 
let us borrow his Super Nintendo when I was eight or nine, and we never gave it back. <laughs> and But that next generation of games of the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, you really kind of saw the technology increase, you saw the attention given to music mm -hmm. in these 16-bit, but much more sophisticated games, the stories that were there. And I was kind of athletic, but I hadn't found my niche really yet. And so games were also a bit of a safe haven mm -hmm. to go to. And I hadn't really awakened to the truth of my Catholic faith. So it was also this thing that was much more exciting. Yeah. I'd be altar serving, staring at the stained glass windows, thinking about fighting ninjas, and couldn't wait to get home to play Super Nintendo. Because mm -hmm. there was the real adventure, like there was the real journey and mission. And it took a while. Um, and my parents were very patient with us, and it was always kind of the, that moderation. Mm -hmm. You give time to your studies, you give time to athletics, and you give time to the leisure that is these games. Um, and even the communal aspect. A lot of people play for the community, mm -hmm. um, either whether it was ye old land parties, yeah. uh, or Super Mario Kart or GoldenEye, to now the rise of the internet allowing us to game with people across the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, it's the community aspect of the squad or your Madden team or FIFA, like that is why you go to play. And so it's also like, why am I, why am I playing? Like asking those questions. And then when I really came into my Catholic faith, it, I didn't stop playing games, but there was a, an, another layer of discernment yeah. of, is it right to play this particular game? How much time am I putting into this game? Um, so I've always been trying to navigate the both and yeah. without realizing it. And then as of the last 10, 15 years, more consciously. Mm -hmm. And now as a dad, it's like, uh oh, like now my kid wants to play. And how do I introduce this? Yes. Um, and the good in it. Like I just have such a, I want to find the middle way. I want to find the way that affirms what is good while also the, the both and the call to, to be in our bodies, to be in our incarnate selves, and to not neglect the great adventure Christ has before us, mm -hmm. like to only settle for the virtual. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, I, I, Chris, we grew up in around the same time period, um, and I remember my, I got my first Super Nintendo because my granddad bought me one, uh, and my parents were kind of like, I don't know if we should give him this. Yeah. Had Donkey Kong as part of like the first game on there. Um, and I was much more into like first person shooter games, but far more into like Madden and a lot of these other sports games and stuff. But I had friends who were into like Final Fantasy and a lot of those original games like that. Um, and so there, there is kind of like, it's, it's always anytime new, some new technology comes out, there's a reaction to it. And one is either to embrace it fully without questioning yes. its goodness or its purpose. And the other is to say, this is bad no matter what it is. And so it sounds to me like what you're trying to do is like, both of those reactions aren't necessary. Both of them are in a way pendulum swinging way too far. And as Catholics, we can always be a both-and people, that there is something beautiful in there, but there's also things to be, be aware of. But I think that, you know, we, we've talked about on the show a few times of the role of social media today, and I think when it comes to video games, it's, it's a very similar reality of like, look, this is where people are at. And I mean, one of the biggest things that I, I've seen lately, and I, it kind of blew my mind, to be honest, some of the money that's involved in it is the growth of this eSports and this international gaming commission that's going on. It's unbelievable, right? 
Oh, it's a whole new world. And there's a whole new, like, you can be very, like, old school and, like, this isn't real sports. And yet it's real. Like, it holds real importance to many. Yeah. Some people can do very financially well yeah. out of these and are devoting hours and hours of practice. And my dad, who runs cleaning crews around the country, he was blown away when he went, I think, the University of South Carolina, maybe. Their eSports department is part of the athletic building. Hmm. And my dad is wow. like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, dad, it's a real thing. It's yeah. arenas are being constructed, and these leagues are being created. And like from high school, if not younger, young people are training. Mm -hmm. And we can look at that with uh, wagging a finger or just kind of a whatever, but there's always kind of like the curious look of, okay, there is some kind of need being met here mm -hmm. for community, for competition. And so before we wag a finger, before we just kind of accept it without thinking about it, there's also like, okay, what are people seeking and, and being fed through this medium? Mm -hmm. um, and how can we speak to those in it? Because that's what I, I also... Um, I find sad is those that just kind of still to this day brush video games off wholesale. It's a total waste of time. It's a total like roadblock to growing in virtue or growing in holiness. And again, the beauty of the Catholic thing is it's discerning. What is best for you? What is best for your family? Some people do lack the self-control of like one hour becomes three or four very quickly. Yes. And so there should be a bit of a restraint. Um, for some people, it is much more casual. They can walk away anytime. They play to hang out with other people. So there's a communal aspect. Um, and again, if, if we're not living in reality, if we're, we're neglecting our duties, like there's many video game widows out there, mm -hmm. like husbands who have not realized this thing, this hobby, this form of leisure that has meant so much to me, it can't take up that much time anymore mm -hmm. out of prudence and devotion to my spouse and my children. Um, some people get stuck and they're not willing to let go because even this, the self-soothing aspect of it, like for me, it was always kind of that leisure of like, this is some me time to enjoy an adventure, enjoy some story and um, to unwind. Mm -hmm. And yet is to what extent am I just kind of numbing or coping? Yes. or not dealing with reality because I'd rather be in virtual reality. Yes, yes, and that's where that fine line lives, right? And I found too that now that I have uh, teenagers and high schoolers and stuff, you know, it's actually been a really cool opportunity for us to do something together. Yeah. So um, me and my two oldest boys, we actually went through Uncharted 1 and 2 together and we took turns, so if you died, it went to the next person. But we went through the whole story together, we had conversations about what was yeah. going on. We had conversations about, is this a virtuous act, what's happening right now? But the story itself is pretty incredible. And I mean, it's kind of like watching like a 12 hour movie together right. that you're getting to participate in together, right? Um, but the nice thing is too, as a father, I'm like, guys, we've been in here an hour and a half, like it's probably time to, let's, let's cut it out and yep. go outside and play, shoot some baskets or something. Um, but I do think too, it also offers an opportunity today of kids who aren't necessarily, I mean, we're very sports obsessed uh, culture um, and I love sports, but it, it also unfortunately limits people who don't have those desires or don't have those abilities. And this actually gives them an opportunity to play certain things that they would want to play, but that maybe they don't have the, the physical capability to do it. And that's a really interesting and good thing, I think, for the culture, to be completely honest. Um, I do think it can still disembody and things like that, but I do think it offers opportunity for people that don't get those chances. Well, and what I hope to, out of the book, is to start these conversations yeah. and to 
get the next generation more involved, more evangelizing, um, because they know the technology as it advances better than I do even, and are going to be able to be to witness to that space because. As an athlete, you kind of had you had Christian examples of athletes. Mm -hmm. You had the Tim Tebow's, and you've had others that like I could be an athlete and still be a Christian. Like how awesome is that? And with the video games, it was kind of like I don't really know if I can do that. Mm. It's like a either or. And when you have now streamers who are living their faith online, yeah. being normal but different, you see like the beauty of of how you can reach people in that space. It's not just, I have to leave this part of me that enjoys video games at the door in order to be a disciple. Yeah. It's the both end. I know priests who have streamed. I know nuns even who have played Fortnite. And it's, it's that like, I'm gonna go into the culture and use this, this thing um, to break some common ground yeah. with this generation. Yeah, and speaking of examples, before we get kind of into the philosophy and anthropology behind all of this, uh, something we talked about beforehand was actually the potential of a, a future saint, mm -hmm. of somebody who personally loved video games. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. So, person. yeah, oh man. So towards the end of the book, I use the example of Blessed Carlo Acutis as a model for how do we navigate this third way forward, approaching technology as a whole, video games in particular, to the world. And so here's a young man who is a blessed, an Italian saint who died of aggressive leukemia age 15. And uh, my wife and I recently had a 10 year anniversary trip to Italy, went to Rome. We took a day trip to Assisi. I did not realize he was buried there. And I was frantically finishing the edits on this book on that trip, on the train ride to Assisi and did not realize until we were landing that he was buried there. And so actually got to go to the church uh, where he is entombed and you see like the side of his casket is glass. So you see him in like sweats and sneakers. And I just, we went in January, so it was cold and there was no one there. And it was just this time to pray before him and to ask his intercession on this book, on all those who will read it, on our culture as a whole. And this rosary I actually put on top of his casket. Um, just do again, to pray for his intercession. and. Um, Here's a guy who fiercely loved the Lord, and he also knew how to be with friends. The, the, the people in his school loved him. His classmates loved him. He wasn't a, like a recluse in the corner. Mm -hmm. But he also, uh, so he knew how to be with people, but he also knew like how to put the Lord first. Mm -hmm. So he would play PlayStation. He loved Pikachu. He'd play with his dogs. He'd go on hikes. He just was that kind of that renaissance young man of, of the whole thing and, and would code. He would create websites and he devoted a website to the Eucharist. He created a website devoted to documenting Eucharistic miracles around the world that is still live today. Wow. That people can go and visit. And um, from his funeral, people were coming out of the woodwork for that and people were already like reporting miraculous events happening. Hmm. So here's a young man that we can look to for his intercession, uh, for his love of the Lord, and also like how do I navigate this to not just shut down discussion and gameplay of video games, but how do I find the virtuous middle way? He had a self-imposed limit of one hour a week hmm. 
he would only play PlayStation for one hour a week, which is like, I can't even <laughs> do that. That amazing self-mastery. His mom didn't impose that. He did on himself. He just saw like there's, there's too much to do. Yeah. There's too much to do and there's too much that Jesus wants me to do in life. I have to get after it. And um, he's like my little brother. Like I feel his intercession some days when I'm just tempted to find excuses. Like I'm, I'm too tired. I can't take my kids to daily mass. It's too far of a drive, whatever. I, 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 I swear I feel him nudging sometimes. Like you can do it. Like you can do the hard thing. Um, and I just, I love who he has become for this generation and, and those to come of this millennial on the way to sainthood. And I always think about, anytime I think about him, I always think that means there's probably going to be a third class relic that's going to be like a PlayStation controller. His controller could and, be a relic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I just think that's a really cool showing of what, well, how the church believes about the world. And right? any of us. Yes. Because it, it's also tempting to be like, well, he was a special case. Yes. And he was, and yet it didn't take much. He just put Jesus first. Yep. And so it, you hear um, like Fulton Sheen and others who say, it's not hard to be a saint. It's just doing the daily work yeah. towards it. And to what extent are we in? Are we too um, shackled by our creature comforts yeah. and our leisure and our excuses? And, and I get it. There's a lot of distractions. I'm a tired dad in, in the world. Uh, and yet, how does Jesus want me to evangelize with the tools we've been given? Mm -hmm. So now let's get into a little bit more of like the philosophy of what we're talking about here. Um, is there any books or philosophers in particular that you looked into whenever you were writing this book, but also coming up with kind of like a, what does this have to do with anthropology? Mm -hmm. how, what, how do we read humanity through this? Um, so what kind of like philosophies were you able to find? So it's such a new topic. There's not like we have 800 years of philosophers <laughs> mulling Thomas about. Thomas Aquinas was not talking about it. He was not talking about <laughs> Super Mario. Um, Johan Huizinga mm -hmm. was a Dutch historian. He wrote a book called Homo Ludens, Humans Gaming, hmm. or Humans Playing is how it could be translated, of just the, and uh, Joseph Pieper, same kind of thing, of leisure, the basis of culture. Mm -hmm. The importance of games and play to the human experience. And it's something that is always in our face, and yet we just kind of take it for granted. Mm -hmm. From kids just playing hacky sack to um, you know baseball, like catch to people like, oh, I don't play video games. Like you don't play a Candy Crush on your phone. Like you don't play Tetris or Snake, like on your razor. Um, like the whole like, why would you the esports thing? I was telling my dad like he's like, why would you watch someone else play games as he's watching? like Sunday football. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at the TV and I looked at him and I said, dad, why would you watch someone else play a game? <laughs> and he, it took him a while. He's like, oh, now I get it. Like from like the ancient times through today, there is something about games, about play that is part of being human. We're not just make, made for work and drudgery. Mm -hmm. There is something human about play. And it's not just about, well, we get life lessons because of play. Like, why are your kids in sports? Well, it's to teach them self-control and character. It's like, well, no, it's not it. Mm -hmm. It's the play is fun. Like, that's okay. Like, they may learn teamwork and self-mastery and how to take a loss. Mm -hmm. Like, that, those are the after effects. But you don't get in into like, we're going to learn how to lose. 
<laughs> that's why we're playing today. It's we want to play. Mm -hmm. And once you start like dissecting it or like the worst part of any board game is the reading of the rules <laughs> to someone new. It's yeah. like just your brain just starts kind of melting like a Salvador Dali painting. Like that is the worst part for everyone because we're just like, just, we'll just let's just play. Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out as I go. Mm -hmm. There is something human about play. And now extend that to video games is there is something very human about this. Even though it, it, the, the means may be this virtual device. Again, you watch people playing like Wii Sports together. It's very real. It's not real, but it is a real experience happening. There's real laughter. There's real anger. Yeah. <laughs> um, you watch your sons playing Call of Duty. Like there are real human emotions that are coming out. There is real joy. There is real frustration. Uh, there's real sense of purpose and mission. Mm -hmm. And like you're in it. Like when you're in it, like you're locked into it. Yeah. And so there is something. Just I, that's how I start the book. I take this kind of quick philosophical diversion. Hopefully not to lose people, but just it was a lot of fun to write about and try to check out every book available on video games to try to like, and again, there's not much on the philosophy side of things, sure. but you under, you get to see like, whether it's like productivity and flow, mm. for instance, like there's a lot been written about flow and getting lost in um, a hobby or just where it doesn't feel like practice anymore. Mm -hmm. The hours you have put into a discipline, painting, golf, Etc. Like, there's a point where like Tiger Woods just makes it look easy. Mm -hmm. Like the musician that just knows like the piano, all of a sudden it doesn't look like they're even trying. Yeah. The gymnast at the Olympics that just makes it look too easy to the point where, like oh, I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, video games offer that flow, and it's almost a shortcut to flow because the amount of hours you'd have to be good, like the amount of hours to put, you'd have to put into practice to be a Michael Jordan level. Mm -hmm. You can get that much quicker and the feedback loop is much quicker in video games. Mm -hmm. So why is it hard to walk away sometimes? Why is it we just kind of get stuck and one hour becomes three very quickly? It's because there is some kind of state of flow and achievement and reward happening. Yeah. Yeah, what's interesting too is there's a, a moral component to a lot of these, at least story games yes, as yes. well, of you have to make moral decisions. And as you said, there's, there's actual, and the difference between board games and video games, video games, the rules are already in there and you have to kind of like navigate those rules, right? Unless you're playing like Grand Theft Auto or some of these other ones where it's a kind of a crazy world, which we'll get into that uh, as well. But it's a moral universe where there are actions that you can or cannot take. And when we live in a place of relativism, of do whatever you want, right. what your truth is your truth, that doesn't really exist in a lot of these places. Maybe you try to take some of that relativism into it, but if you make the wrong decision, you will be punished in most of these games, right? At least the, some of the story games in particular. Um, so there's like this kind of moral humanism going on inside of that world, depending on the game, of course, as I said, um, that, that it actually does form the mind in some sense towards the good, right? Um, but we mentioned Joseph Pieper, and, and one of the things I love that he talks about in regard to, to leisure, he brings up the idea of the carnival, right? And the carnival being this, it's literally carn, it's the coming together of meaty things, like, like what we eat, but also human beings coming together. 
And it was all based on a common understanding of we're here to have fun together. Don't bring your arguments here. Don't bring the pettiness. Like, come here, let's have fun, let's play games. Let's get intense in those games. You know, like, like we're gonna play some football, let's play some football yep. type of thing. But ultimately what he says is it leads towards what he calls the cultus, right? This, this common understanding of something above us that's, that's good. Yep. We know that to be God, right? Ultimately we're worshiping God, we know that. Maybe not all video games lead towards that, but it does get us beyond just a individualism. It mm -hmm. brings us together in some sense, even if you're just with other characters, right? It's an, it's an interesting thing. Because it's digital, we still are kind of dealing with what that means yeah. humanly, right? Oh, it's, yeah, it's still so new. The humanism of, of even like a moral code absolutely comes through in some of these games where they're, they're sandbox and you can go and explore and do whatever, mm -hmm. but there's consequences based on how you act. Yeah. So even games where you could be awful, there's consequences. Like you have the law coming after you big time if mm -hmm. you're, you're being atrocious to people. So there's like this, as relativistic as the culture may be, there's still these evidence of like your behavior matters. Mm -hmm. What you do matters. Who do you want to be? I remember years ago, um, there was a journalist who wrote an article about his girlfriend at the time was watching him play Bioshock, which is an older game. And it's this, again, the philosophy of like Ayn Rand, like mm. the utopia vision gone horribly wrong in this underwater city of called Rapture, mm. where people are basically splicing themselves into mutants. And it's this first person kind of horror game and it's really well made. But you have these moral decisions throughout that you can choose to harvest these, um, characters for their powers hmm. or you free them hmm. and the ending changes based on how you act and anyway he chooses to harvest for the sake of getting this character's power and his girlfriend wouldn't talk to him for a week <laughs> and he was musing on this of like does how I act in a game matter who I am in real life does it affect me hmm. does it change me like Am I what I consume here? Can I choose to be a horrible person in a video game and, and walk away That's living? Crazy. Like, and it, it's this, there we, can, we can argue about that too. Like we could talk about, cause it's hard, like for me, and I've talked to other people, like it's hard to be, to play in an immoral way. Mm -hmm. There's sometimes where I'm curious, how would the game be different if I make these decisions? And it's really hard to do though, when it comes to the moment, I still will choose more often than not like the virtuous way, mm -hmm. unless my hands press the button the wrong way and all of a sudden the town is, is chasing me. Right. So I, sh <laughs> I shot a guy by mistake. And um, so you see in games, like this echo of there is a good, there's a way I ought to be, there is a selfish way I could act and there's, but there's consequences. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how morality, we can ignore it, but it's gonna come back another, through another door. Yeah. Have you ever desired a deeper understanding of the life of Jesus? Check out The Extraordinary Story with Tom Hoops. This is The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, entered the confusing maze that is our world to show us who we are and to give us his cross as a ladder up and out. This is his story and ours, The Extraordinary Story. 
The Extraordinary Story has been featured in The Loop, Alatea, Our Sunday Visitor, and Relevant Radio. You can listen to The Extraordinary Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And now, back to the show. I love sports and my boys play basketball. We play NBA 2K together a lot. They're a lot better than I am, so yeah, I have to beat them in, in real basketball outside. Um, but what I've noticed is that they've actually come to learn the game way more because they understand how to make plays, how to, if you read a defense, what does that mean? So even beyond the philosophical, I, I think in more of terms or on the terms of like, how, what does this mean? Like, if you love this, but you also love this, how do those two things interact? Mm-hmm. And so for them, like they've learned the game of basketball in a much better kind of almost like from a coach's perspective of what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. versus just dribbling and trying to make the best play possible. Now you see it from a much bigger perspective and you're trying to make plays move players certain ways. You realize why substitutions need to happen, all that kind of stuff. So it's given them a much bigger actually appreciation of the game itself of playing on the court, uh, which I actually love. So that means like, all right, if you guys are gonna play basketball, fine. I'm, I know you're learning something out of this. Um, and maybe it's a too simple of a question, but have you really thought through like, where does that desire come from to, to hop onto these games, to spend time with them? Not all of them are, are as simple as like a basketball game. Some of them are very, very uh, deep, you know, long stories that take a long time to get through the full game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is that? You know, what is that desire within us that wants to get into those? I mean, again, I look at, uh, peers on Candy Crush, to young people on Minecraft, to f- friends getting lost in Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> to there's, there's kind of these overarching, like, the why do you play? Some of it is just the entertainment, the mm-hmm. diversion. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm waiting for my... I, I watched one time I was in the barbershop, and I saw a dad, a son, and a daughter. And the daughter was playing on... There was, like, um, an iPad in the store that had some little like Tetris kind of games that she was playing. I look over and the son has his own iPad playing Madden. And I look at the dad and the dad is playing some kind of like shooter on his phone. And so all three were gaming. And I'm like, how about that? So some of it is to pass the time. Some of it is genuinely like the community. Mm -hmm. Again, I log in at this time to be with my friends, to see this influencer on Twitch, to see, to play with my squad. Like they, it's a community reason why I'm logging on. Some people, for me, I'm much more of like a solitary gamer. Like I like my me time and just to go on an adventure in like a, yeah, like an adventure game and just kind of get lost for a while sure. where there is exploration. So much of the world has been Google earthed yeah. and mapped out. And it's like, what is left to explore? Mm. There's certainly the interior life, the life of God, the life of faith, absolutely. There's still the desire to explore either the bottom of the ocean or going to Mars. So that human urge for exploration also has to go somewhere. And that's why we love these vast open world games Mm -hmm. where like some of them, like a lot of them, like the map is intentionally cloudy when you start. The whole world is a mystery and it's for you to go and explore and gradually it starts to unlock the map. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the guy who designed the first Zelda and many of the Zelda games since had that understanding. Like we love exploration. We love getting lost in the woods. We love kind of the, I don't know what's over this hill. Yeah. And games can emulate that exploration. And some of it is mission, like give me a mission, give me a purpose. So some of like the Call of Duty and those kind of franchises, I feel like I have a task. 
I have a mission that I need, that people are depending on me. Mm -hmm. And in a culture that is void of meaning, purpose, you're just random atoms in a random universe. It's like that doesn't speak to the deepest truth of the human heart. I know I'm meant for a mission and, and I, want, I want a great journey and I want a great adventure. And so video games really tap into that when they feel like the world has been stripped of meaning and purpose. There was one, I was in the gym one time and there was a commercial on this is years ago, and it's this like chaos of a dragon flying overhead and these soldiers running and explosions and everything like a young guy w wants and an old guy wants, and I'm staring at it. And it says, greatness awaits. And I realized then it was a PlayStation commercial. And I was like, ooh, there it is. Like video game companies understand, I am called to greatness. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord has not made us for complacency. He wants us to be expanded. He wants our our greatness and our holiness. And to the extent we don't feel like we're, we're being challenged in the real world, we will seek that in the virtual. Mm -hmm. So there's a host of reasons why we go to games. And to, to revisit um, Peeper for a sec on leisure, the basis of culture, I will tip my hat to the argument of some who say, well, yeah, games can provide this, but is there a depletion? Like, do I feel rested afterwards or do I feel more like the energy is sucked out of me? And some of that is, is just the technology itself, like scrolling and screens. They tend to like just kind of suck the energy from us more than they give us life than going on a hike mm -hmm. with a friend or just being in nature, having good conversation with friends, playing a board game with my family. I'll give, I'll tip my hat to that argument of, there's, there's probably like in the hierarchy of things, yeah, that to note again, it's not all evil, but to say like, you know, an hour, hour and a half of games, great. But that's why three hours of gaming, we feel exhausted. Yeah. Because there is something that is like, I'm not meant just for pixels on a screen. Yeah. I, I am meant for reality at the end of the day. And that's something in the book I come back to in, in the, the later chapters of we are incarnate beings. We are flesh and blood. And the Lord has asked us and called us to live as such, as these embodied souls. And so the best of games, as great as they are, they still will never satisfy yeah. the infinite ache. And so there's always the call to go to be with and worship and serve those in, in real life. Yeah. One of the things I've also seen in some of the later games, and I experienced really for the first time playing those Uncharted games with the boys, is the level of beauty that you're looking at. I mean, gosh, to go explore these old like Aztec temples and stuff and what you're looking at, it's, it's unbelievable. It's as if they, they know the eye is drawn to this, even though if it's a digital piece or, or a painted piece, the human eye and the human heart is drawn to these big, beautiful landscapes. And then you back that up with music that's just unreal. And you even already kind of mentioned the, the kind of rise of the use of, of really huge instrumental pieces mm -hmm. that, that are involved in it. And like, if you remove the soundtrack from the game and you listen to it, you're like, this is for a video game? Are you kidding me? So going from Donkey Kong, which I, in a way is beautiful in its own way, but not up to the landscapes that we're seeing now and the music we see now, but uh, what do you see the rise, you know, accordance with? Well, even like the attention though to music, because that was yeah. one of the early reasons, one of the early areas of focus Nintendo realized like we can't just put out garbage games mm -hmm. they've got to be like tight like 
it can't be like so frustrating to play people give up. Mm -hmm. So the controls have to be tight and it has the beauty has to matter from the pixels to the music. Everyone knows the Mario jingle. Yeah. The Mario movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie, I teared up like twice, like two and a half times. Usually when the music kicked in. Yeah. And just the nostalgia was so powerful. And like to, yeah, video game soundtracks today being fully orchestrated. You have Hollywood level composers like Hans Zimmer, Lauren Balf, um, and Bear McCreary, and like Harry Gregson Williams, I think, who have done like Gladiator. Um, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, Outlander, um, The Last Kingdom, stuff like that, who are composing music for video games. And like you said, you remove that, that is such a charm of it. Like the, um, um, the Uncharted theme, I know it in my head. As soon as you started mentioning it, you're playing with your boys, I could hear the music in my head. And you take the music away, it takes such a big chunk of the gameplay away. Like we know we're meant for beauty, and the music is a part of this. And this is again like why people, myself included, get lost in these virtual worlds. Is they're beautiful to be in. Yeah. From Zelda to Red Dead to um, even like just uh, like Minecraft. As simple as it is, there's something even in the creative. I get to be co-creator. Like Tolkien wrote a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Like we're we're um, I think it was sub-creators or co-creators with God. Like, we didn't create the building blocks, but God has placed us here, and he delights when we just start building. Mm -hmm. And so some, for some people, they just lose hours and hours in games that it's world building, like Sims or SimCity or Minecraft. Like that, they just delight in creating. Yeah. So to, this is where I always say, like, yeah, find the middle way. Acknowledge the good. There's good there. Um, you're meant for beauty. Like, why do you find this beautiful? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Where does beauty come from? Like that's such an easy hop skip to to bring in these these bigger topics. Absolutely. And you, you've touched on it a little bit as well as like this this desire within us to go on an adventure, things mm -hmm. that, you know, we, we can't go hop on an old ship anymore and go on these grand adventures to the new world or anything like that. But this does give us a, at least a semblance of it, an opportunity to experience something like that. Um, and I, I know that in the video game world, the overwhelming majority are, are males. Yep. So there's something drawing the masculine heart uh, into that. And that's not to say that females don't have that same desire and, and some uh, participate in the games for the exact same reasons. Right. Uh, but there is something that's drawing young men especially, uh, and now some of us older guys too, into the gaming world that there's something about that adventure, that, that, the, that masculine heart that, that needs something. Um, so what, what is it about, you know, being a guy and needing some video games? <laughs> Man, yeah, this is where I've known many women that love video games mm -hmm. um, that are equally competitive, mm -hmm. um, female streamers who are just as amazing and, and competent. And, but to the male heart, there is something that is meant for adventure and challenge. And, you know, theology of the body, we are external. Mm -hmm. The man's genius is like going out, mm -hmm. is, is that external, like, providing for mm -hmm. and so that is fleshed out in the need for challenge and adventure and like i said to the extent we don't feel fed by that those options in the real world there are you know countless opportunities in the virtual mm -hmm. that's great the challenge though is to call young men to to just note again is, is that the only area where you're finding adventure yeah 
Is that the only area where you're finding fulfillment and challenge? Because the game will end. And you can keep going on from one game to the next to the next, but there's ultimately the call to come up for air mm -hmm. and put those gifts to the service of others in real life. But, but there too, you see like the, the gifts of the virtual tools where people can serve one another from afar. Mm -hmm. um, people can encourage one another. Like I've, I've seen instances where um, streamers, like just, it's kind of like the bowling league where this is the thing we have in common and we're shooting the breeze and we're getting to know each other. But then there's like levels of sharing that can go deeper and stuff hits the fan. An uncle dies. Um, there's a hardship. And all of a sudden this trust that I've built up with this guy who we've just kind of been playing this competitive game, all of a sudden like, hey, I, I know this guy enough to be like, yeah, my uncle died and I'm going through a tough time. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, so the games can also be this medium of meeting and growing in relationship with others. Mm -hmm. Especially like post COVID where a lot of people like, this is the only way I've, I've had to stay in access with people is the virtual. More than ever, we need to not wag a finger at the amount of young people living online, but go into those spaces and affirm what it is they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the immediate term that comes to mind is the hero's journey, yeah. right? That yeah. all men desire some kind of hero's journey. And to me, if a video game is an offering of creating something within the moral imagination of experiencing something like a hero's journey, but then the inspiration to go out into the world and right. now be a hero in the real real world. So what you learn in these games, you should really be bringing them out. It's, it's kind of a similar, granted again, to a different degree, uh, but in literature, you, you hear these stories of either fictional characters or, or even in fiction, or uh, in nonfiction, you read of actual people like Teddy Roosevelt and these people that do these incredible things. And the, what, the, what that does to your heart, what it does to your courage, like, wow, if this person can do this, yeah. then so can I. I can at least try to some degree to get to some kind of level of greatness. And so if, in a way, these games are forming the moral imagination to live out a hero's journey and live within the bounds of what we call freedom, right, within the moral bounds of, of the Catholic faith, then great. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's my hope is that our, our listeners, whether you're in college or you're a parent, is, is consider that whenever you're doing these things. Is this inspiring you to do real things out in the real world? Yep. And in that way, that's, that means it's awesome because it's creating something that we need in the real world. I mean, this is where, again, look at video games as a medium, just like a book or a movie mm -hmm. where the protagonist can really inspire you mm -hmm. to go out and do some good, just as like Gladiator rocked me as a 17 year old, there's always like, wow, I want to be a man mm -hmm. like that. I want to be self-sacrificing like Maximus, Decimus, Meridius. Um, Husband to a murdered wife. Yeah, on, <laughs> on and on. Um, so too, I've seen young people that the protagonist of The Last of Us really helped them crystallize, I want to be a protector. I want to be a man like that. Um, we could do an hour, I could do an hour easy on Red Dead mm. Redemption 2. And the protagonist, Arthur Morgan, who starts, it's a, it's a West, like a Wild West game, and it starts out, he's running in this gang of outlaws, very machismo, self-interested, and has to, through the course of the game, 
realize how he's been acting is not leading to happiness. He actually contracts tuberculosis mm. and has to face his own mortality. This is a video game where it's an open world. It's kind of a cowboy shooter. Again, you're punished or rewarded depending on how moral or, or immoral you act in the game. But the protagonist is going on this journey of realizing, like he goes from believing in nothing to wanting to spend his last breath doing good. He literally uh, lays down his life at the end of the game so that another character can live. Yeah, wow. And I've, I know young people who were in tears just as much as I was like at the end of the game. Like, here's one of my favorite fictional protagonists ever who, redemption, like redemption is the key of the game. Like, you're never too far gone. And it's, he has a conversation on a train stop with a nun. And he's like, I, I ain't never done anything good in life. And the nun essentially says, it's never too late to try. Wow. And I, I've, I'm on my fourth replay very slowly now, because we have a newborn. Yeah. I'm just very slowly reworking my way through the game. And it's, it's a beautiful world with beautiful music, but a protagonist that speaks that I want to revisit. Like the best stories, your kids want to watch the same movies over and mm -hmm. over again. Um, they want the same books over and over again. They speak for a reason. And there too, it's like, I, how can I emulate that now in my interactions with the flesh and blood people around me? So the, again, there are games that are just junk. They're just time wasters. There are some that are immoral, just the same with movies, TV shows, that you need not you know, put into your soul. And then there are those that are like, that was, that's a masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So one of the things I've noticed also culturally, um, especially more closely in the past couple of years, is actually the rise of movies based off of video games. Yeah, you just yep. mentioned The Last of Us, um, which I actually really enjoyed that series. Um, I watched it with my oldest because uh, he played the game. Um, but then also the Super Mario Brothers that you mentioned, uh, which I didn't know until you mentioned it before we started talking, that that was the highest grossing animated film ever. <laughs> it had the Super Mario Brothers had the highest opening weekend of any animated movie ever. It beat out Frozen 2. Wow. So just consider, if nothing else, that a movie based on a video game has the highest of like box office return. <laughs> Super Mario. Yeah. Because um, you're talking about generational you know, eyeballs at that point, right? Well, yes. So. The, uh, the amount of ticket sales was highest amongst 18 and 30-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, my kids who are nine and younger, they don't have the deep years of nostalgia for Mario. They see a colorful character. My, our second oldest, who's our philosopher, like she's just like, he eats mushrooms and grows big. He's like, this is weird. I said, no, it's like, it makes sense. She's like, and they drive go-karts? I said, yeah, go-karts. It makes total sense. So yes, it spoke to the deep nostalgia amongst generations and it just was a delightful film. And I, yeah, so now they're trickling into large, like they're part of culture at this mm -hmm. point. Like it or not, they're part of culture. Pikachu is a character known around the world. Mm -hmm. You know what that is. You know what Pokemon is. Same with Super Mario, same with Sonic the Hedgehog. So it's here. And so this is where we can still try to brush it away or acknowledge it. This is a force to be reckoned yeah. with. And how do we speak to those who love it and are entertained by it and also know like, we don't, to not worship it. Yes. Yeah, and two movies that came out recently, um, Ready Player One, mm -hmm. which I actually read the book twice because I thought it was fascinating. Mm. 
uh, and I read it before the, the film came out, but, and then Free Guy, which I think, gosh, philosophically, those two things say a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think Ready Player One, in a, in a way, is a warning that if we go too far into that digital world, yeah. that we could become so disembodied. I think the book says a little bit more than the film, but if, if we go that route, we will never truly understand friendship and everything because we're, we're not actually embodied with each other, right. which I think is a great kind of quasi-warning. But then Free Guy is a very different kind of use of free will and all yeah. of that. So, Yeah, they, so Free Guy took me by surprise. Yeah. I don't think they marketed it, it well. But I thought it was it was hilarious, and also like yeah, there was a lot of philosophical nuggets in there of what happens when the non-playable character, so the character in the game that just walks in circles in the town and just tells you like you need to save the town. There's a dragon over there. Mm -hmm. What happens if he gets if he becomes self-aware mm -hmm. and wants like the nature of freedom and free will? How intrinsic it is to the human person. It it, it did take me by surprise of. And a game that couldn't, uh, sorry, a movie that wouldn't exist 20 years ago because it very much is based in like the Fortnite massive online gaming um, format. Like the servers that are in the company, the stuff like that, like the video games of the 80s didn't have that language yet, but now we're in a world where, where that, that makes sense. Yes. So yeah, the best of sci-fi is also usually a warning. Yes. Of, of toying with the future that's like, you know, two months uh, out from us or 20 years out from us and is saying, you know, careful what you wish for. Like this disembodiment you kind of dream about even. Oh, man, what was the series? Um, Upload, I think it was called mm -hmm. on Hulu. It was taught. It was just what if you could upload your consciousness to a digital afterlife? It was the premise for the show, and it was more dark humor than like comedy. Sure. But it was one of those like this is very like theology of the body. Yeah. Like we're not meant to upload our consciousness into eternity, mm -hmm. and you get a higher level of heaven based on how much you pay gigs mm -hmm. per month. It was very like we're not meant for that. Like we think we want that. Wouldn't it be great if we could live forever? If we could upload our consciousness? It kind of showed you like yeah, we're not meant for that. That's, yeah. That is not human in the truest form of it. Yeah, and what I love about um, in, in Free Guy, the, the thing that ultimately makes him decide, I wanna make my own decisions, is a desire for love. Yes. He sees a, a woman who inspires him, which goes right back to the whole wild at heart idea of every man has this desire for a princess. Everybody, every man has this desire to protect, provide for, for someone else, but especially in this case, a, a, a woman that he's attracted to. I just thought that was such a beautiful, like, yeah, of course that's what would inspire him, right? <laughs> Inspires a lot of guys to do a lot of things. Um, but then also in, in, in Ready Player One, in the, the book, which you see a little bit of in the film, he actually goes through this whole physical transformation of actually taking care of his body. Because in the, film, in the book, he's actually quasi-obese. Mm -hmm. And because he's so wrapped up in video games, he just eats the cheap stuff and, and doesn't take care of himself. And then as he grows, he starts to take care of himself physically. Um, does all these different exercises and all this kind of stuff. And then that translates actually 
from what he learns in that game of being a hero, stepping up for yourself, standing up against tyranny, standing up for your friends, he ends up having an opportunity to do it in the real world. Right. And because he's taken care of himself, he's embodied himself again. He's gotten away from the disembodied person. He now has the physical capability to do it. Yeah. Like, what, a, what an inspiring, interesting way of a love of video games because gosh, you go through that and it's like, I now love the 80s more than I ever have because it's all about you know the retro 80s. Um, because they're just praising everything that was beautiful about that that era in particular. Um, but then at the same time, like, as awesome as that is, guys, it's not as good as an embodied relationship with someone that you love. Right. And to me, like, what an amazing quasi-philosophical way to see these kind of things, while again, appreciating the digital aspect of it. Well, because at some point, the electricity goes off. Yes. And then what are you left with? You're left with the flesh and blood person before you. You're left with uh, the Lord of the universe who wants you to know, love, and serve him, who loves you in an intimate way. You know, COVID was also kind of that wake-up call mm -hmm. of, like, for Catholics, like, yeah, we had, we could stream the Mass, but at the same time, you can't receive the Eucharist mm -hmm. digitally. So, like, praise God for what churches were able to do to keep people connected. But for me, there was also just such a sadness of, like, we're not meant for this. Yeah. And I think a lot of people felt that. Like, I cannot wait to get back to Mass. I cannot wait to get before the... Um, the Eucharist, like I'm meant to hold my wife's hand. Yeah. I'm not meant to love her digitally. So like we've said, as to acknowledge the good, the true and the beautiful here, while also the call to be in the world, to be incarnate as flesh and blood as we've been created. So last question, any video games that are coming out that you're particularly uh, excited to play? Oh, um, so there's a new Spider-Man game coming out that looks tremendous. I don't know if I have time for it. Yeah. Um, we are probably going to get a switch for my daughter's ninth birthday. Okay. So she's like at the age that I was. And so it just kind of feels like with, with this book coming out, it's like, yeah. all right, I think it's time where it's this device that we can play together as a family. And then also start to, as you said, like to have the conversations, yeah. like to model it as a parent. Like, why do you like this game? What's, what do you find virtuous about this? Like, why, do you, why is it so fun to explore? Yeah. To start having these conversations while also, okay, time to put it down, time to go serve, time to go to mass. Like, um, it's just, I love this topic. Yeah. We could go another hour pretty easily. And that's, so that's my appeal as well, um, to find the both and, to play with your dorm mates, to have fun, but also don't neglect the relationships that are in the present moment. To use Carlo Acutis as an example of have fun, have fun with your friends, know when to put the controller down, keep the Lord of the universe at the center of your life, and game on, all will be well. Awesome. All right, for all of our listeners and watchers, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Benedictine Dialogues. Be sure to tune in next time. God bless. We hope you enjoyed the Benedictine Dialogues, a production of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. To catch all the latest and support our growing platform, visit media.benedictine.edu. And be sure to recommend this show to your friends and family. Help us to transform culture in America, one conversation at a time.